So, this week we are talking about A Star is Born 1954, starring Judy Garland and some other man. It's James Mason, maybe? Sure. Could be anyone. It could be anyone. It could be a pot of plant. It, I don't it really care. does not matter. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, I've, I wish it did. <laughs> I'm Allison Raybar. And I'm Casey Trent. And this is What Did I Miss? Music, 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 music. We don't have to wait. No, we don't. I don't know. I just wanted to let you keep going. Um, Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Um, So on this podcast, we watch movies that are classics and that one of us should have seen by now, but for some reason or another, we never watched it. Has not. We were too busy watching The O.C. or something. I literally, it was The O.C. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, And this is the second A Star is Born episode. Yes, the first one is the Janet Gaynor and other unknown man some, who I don't care about. There's some man in it. I, I, there's some man. He walks into the ocean. I don't know who I, it is at this I point. I could not tell you who it is. Uh, that was made in 1937, and this is number two, so 1959? Four. 1954. Allison's holding up a four. Oh, I was just going to let you have recalled that on your own. I wasn't going to... Wasn't gonna snitch. No, I want to be honest with our listeners. I want to be different. <laughs> <laughs> this is an unfiltered podcast. So there are four stars borns. This is the second one. Um, this is my personal favorite. This is gonna be such a boring podcast because it's my personal favorite <sighs> too. There's no tension, and we've both seen it. We have both seen it. This is one of the few movies we've actually seen that is a classic. Yeah. Usually, Allison, you have seen every musical, and I have never seen a musical in my yes. life. Yes, a very disappointing aspect yeah. of our friendship. Yeah, this is really just to this whole podcast is just to like make you forgive yes, me. Yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, tell me about your relationship to Judy Garland's A Star Is Born. So, my relationship to Judy Garland's Star Is Born starts with my relationship to Judy Garland's Wizard of Oz, of as is everyone's relationship to her. I didn't want her to get taken away by those scary-ass monkeys, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to watch a lot of stuff that she was in after I saw The Wizard of Oz when I was, like, what, five or, like, seven or whenever a parent deems it, like, appropriate for you, which is normally too early. Parents out there who might have children, don't show them until they're ten. Those monkeys fuck you up. It's very scary. Yeah. Um, And I watched this only because... All those uh, Andy Hardy movies she made in the 30s were, like, very inaccessible and, like, seemed stupid to me. And I was like, okay, this is the next best thing. Does that make sense? It does. I'm just – oh, I had a question to ask you. Oh, so in the Judy Garland Ovoir, is this your favorite over Wizard of Oz? Is that how you say that word? Ovoir? 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 I think ovoir is how you're supposed to say it. Whatever. But I don't know how to say anything. Linguistics is – Oh, yeah. It's French? I didn't even know it's French. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah. It is. Because she acts the shit out of it. Yeah. Okay. I I also prefer to Wizard of Oz. Um, it is... I haven't rewatched... This is my first time rewatching it since high school, I want to say. What, what led you to watch it in high school? I know you were a I was just, kid, like, a like, big theater weirdo, instance? and I spent a lot of time, like downloading quote-unquote classics and watching them like i own like wizard of oz on like the two vhs tape or no it's a single vhs tape mm-hmm. but it had like a flip out cover 
was like a little booklet oh, at the front. I like that. Um, and then I had I love a booklet. <laughs> and I meet me in St. Louis on DVD, and obviously like I was a big Liza Minnelli fan as a kid, and I think I searched this out online like later in life because my my family had actually not shown it to me, and it's fucking classic. And there's certain like, numbers from this that I watch. Just like I watch Born in the Trunk. Yeah. Sometimes just for yeah. fun. It's like a little pick me up. I would never watch Born in a Trunk, but I remember when I saw um, P.S. I Love You with Hillary Swank and Gerard Butler. I was wondering when we'd bring up P.S. I Love You star Hillary Swank (laughs) on this podcast. First of all, good movie. I've never seen it. What is this connection? Are you fucking kidding me? Okay, that's one of the movies we gotta do. I don't even care if no one gives a shit about it. Sure. so when uh, Gerard Butler's character, her husband, dies and she's just, like, super, super sad, she, like, goes into, like, the wallowing stage she should go into and, like, sings this song and, like, watches this movie over and over oh, again. fascinating. And, watch it, and, like, sings The Man That Got Away. Oh, well, I mean, that's a banger. It's, uh, it's the uh, 11th greatest song of all time. According to? According to the American Cinema something? I have the Wikipedia page up. American Film Institute? No, not the Institute. It's not the Academy either. But it is the 11th greatest song. Wait, let me Google this. A very prestigious uh, ranking. Very. Uh, the Man That Got Away. How did you feel about the song? Um, I mean, I love it. I love every single song in this movie. Um, yeah, this is so boring because like it's fucking well, it fucking slaps so hard. Well, so in the in the first ep- uh, episode of this series on A Stars Are Born, um, we we read the first part of Richard Dyer's book Stars, and we talked about how stars are created, both through production on the part of the film company, and how they change your eyebrows and give you clothes and make you do screen sets and put you in all these movies and they create a star, and then the audience consumes you. And either accepts you or rejects you. And this week we read the second part of that book, which is Stars as Image, which I think is really interesting to talk about Judy Garland. Even oh, if we're not going to argue about this movie, I think this is this is a particularly interesting movie to talk about oh, Judy Garland's star sure. image and history and her legacy, which is sort of, A Star is Born is sort of, I would say, like the height of her work and like sort of leads to her eventual downfall. Yeah. Not like not that the movie led to her downfall, but it is sort of like her yeah. peak and she and never I think really recovered a big, after this. Uh, I mean there's a thesis you could kind of like make around this that her charting as a star in Hollywood is both like her character in this film and also Norman Maine's character in this film, which is why the men don't matter. Like she her yes. stardom as Judy Garland represents both of these people, which is interesting. Uh correction over yes, here. Sir. American Film Inst—it's the institute, in Amer- the eleventh greatest song in American cinema history. So not like recording history, just like cinema history, which is weird. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, so this A Star Is Born has roughly the same plot outline as the first and the third and the fourth. <laughs> can you like walk us through it real I quick? Can. So uh, it involves a lot of like turning around for someone to look at you. But it also involves it um, uh, Esther Blodgett, small town girl. In this case, she's actually been kind of like pretty successful for a while. Like low key has got it going on. Like travels with a successful uh, band. Gets yeah. whereas in the first movie, um, what's her name? Was she Esther Blodgett? She was in the first Esther movie? Blodgett in the first movie. Esther Blodgett um, was like a small town girl on a farm, and then she's like, "I'm gonna make it in Hollywood," and then she goes to Hollywood, and we see her there. We meet Judy Garland in this film as like already sort of. 
she's not famous, but she's, she's like established. playing yeah, clubs. Yeah, she's like making money, she's, enough money to live. She's in a, a moderately successful band. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Norman Maine is drunk as all hell at a benefit they're both playing at. She saves him by when he like stumbles on stage. She kind of like plays it off as a comedic bit. Uh, they meet. He decides she's the most talented thing she's ever encountered. Makes her sing to yes. him sometimes, which I was like, yikes, but like, okay. Multiple times, yeah. Um, gets her the screen test. They change her name. They get married. Very, very similar to the first one. Except I do, yeah. I mean, this movie clocks in at, oh, and then and then kills himself by walking into the water. But aside from that, this movie does clock in at a hot, like, three hours, I would say. It is two hours and 55 minutes. Well, here's the thing. When they when they originally made the film, it was 2.55, but then uh, the studio thought that might be a little long, which is very fair, and they cut out about a half hour of mm-hmm. it over the objections of the director, George Cougar, and the producer, who was Sidney Luft, who was um, Judy Garland's husband at the time. And that was restored in the 1980s. So the version that we watched has most of the footage restored. There's, like, two scenes that are just, like, pictures they have the the audio but they only had production stills they couldn't find the footage but the full running time of like the authoritative version of this movie is two hours and 55 minutes (laughs) (laughs) which is very long it's very long um but why is it much longer than the first movie even though it has the exact same plot points and nothing uh, added what is the big difference musical numbers baby multiple sort of like 10 so minute show i would definitely like to say this is like number one ding 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 the first big difference from the first movie is that instead of not showcasing the talent that is supposedly had by the star this is all a showcase yes and i think this is why it really ties into like this richard dyer chapter like the first movie is really unconcerned with convincing us that esther blodgett now vicky lester is a talented mm-hmm. person like we're just sort of supposed to believe it but they're not like super concerned yeah. about us buying that janet gaynor could be a movie yeah. star and we rarely see footage of her acting this movie is like listen you know judy garland is incredible norman Maine knows judy garland is incredible wouldn't it be fun to watch Judy Carland being incredible? And then the best part is that it's not, it doesn't feel forced, like you're trying to force this down my throat, because she is absolutely spectacular in this film. It's great. But there are, like, when they go to the premiere of her first movie, it stops and we just watch the movie yeah. for 10 yeah. minutes. We watch, like, the grand finale of the movie, which is this number called Born in a Trunk. And you know what? Another thing I want to point out, where we're still kind of at the beginning of the movie and talking about, like, the dire situation is um Mm -hmm. i really think it's interesting and they couldn't get away with this any other way because judy garland in the 50s is like how old is she like 30 she was 32 when this film was made same age as lady gaga in the newest that's crazy because she honestly looks older because she's been on speed for like most of her life yeah so i wanted to like give a mini biography every single star is born will have a slight tangent for me the first one was about the studio system I would like to give a short biography of I'm, I welcome it deeply. Think of this as my musical number. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> so she was born in 1922. She was born in Minnesota. Do you know Judy Garland's birth name? Uh, Gum. Last name Gum, because it's the Gum Sisters. Also, I read Francis Ethel Gum. A beautiful name. Uh, gorgeous. The Esther Blodgett of the 20s. <laughs> So she um, she was born to, like, vaudeville actors. Her parents owned a theater in Minnesota. 
and uh, her dad caused a minor scandal because he was hitting on male ushers, so they had to leave Minnesota. Oh. And they came to California. Yeah, rough. The 20s were hard. <laughs> um, she, she was a child star, and she did Wizard of Oz when she was 16. And um, like most young women... Uh, then and now, uh, the studio treated her like shit. Because she was playing, like, a 12-year-old in Wizard of Oz, they made her wear, like, a really tight corset, and they made her start smoking to keep down her appetite, and they gave her a ton of speed, um, as they did to many child actors. Um, and she, like, fell into addiction, um, and she had an eating disorder, and she had a lot of, just, like, problems growing up, even though she was a very, very successful movie star. She had a nervous breakdown when she was 25, and she was institutionalized, and she had a suicide attempt. And she never really bounced back from that. She There's a couple iconic musicals that she was supposed to be in as, like, a yeah. follow-up to Wizard of Oz and Mimi in St. Louis. One of them was Annie Get Your Gun. Do you know Annie Get no. Your Gun? It's about Annie Oakley. Uh, it's where, like, anything you can do. I oh, can I know do that song. It's from. Yeah. This is so where that's our that friendship gets the, grading for you, I'm sure. <laughs> it's tough. Um she was supposed to be the lead, which had been, like, Ethel Merman's big part on Broadway. She was supposed to be the, the female lead in the movie, and she ended up getting fired. And then she was supposed to be in Royal Wedding, which is a Fred Astaire movie, and she ended up getting fired because she would uh, get drunk and she would uh, do a ton of drugs and not show up to set for days at a time. I'm sure this sounds very familiar as someone who has been watching a lot of the stars. I mean, yeah. And uh, she was finally, her contract, she was let out of it at MGM in the 1950s. She, like, started doing some stuff on stage, and she kind of started touring, and then A Star is Born was supposed to be her big, like, comeback mm-hmm. role. Like, at 32, Judy Garland was, like, a washed-up drug addict, right? And this was supposed to be, like, her comeback. Some people, the they tried to get a lot of different men for Norman Maine, but a lot of people didn't want to work with her. <laughs> um, and during A Star is Born, they, uh, they kept delaying shooting because she was on drugs. Anna would just, like, party all night and not show up to set the next day, which is a major bummer. Yeah, <laughs> um, it makes me sad. She, that said, the film was incredible, and she gives an incredible performance, and she was nominated for an Oscar, and everyone thought she was going to win, and this was going to be, like, her big moment, right? And then fucking Grace Kelly Fun won. fact about that, she was in the hospital, like, giving birth to yes. her child. <sighs> they sent a film crew there to, like, see when she won. And then they like she like because obviously she was going to give her speech from her hospital bed. Yeah, with like yeah. a baby in hand, like rehabilitate that drug addict image. And then uh, Grace Kelly won, and Judy Garland never forgave her, and um, she died uh, about ten years later. She died at the age of forty-seven. Oh God! It was an accidental overdose. Um, it is very sad. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was comprehensive. Thank you. Can I can I add something to it? Just because it's true to Go my heart. Uh, like a big issue with her in Hollywood when she like started out. I think she started at 13, like 12 or 13, like you said. Yeah, she was um in like her and Mickey yeah. started at the same time. They were child actors. Yeah, together. and so you have this weird, she's in this like weird place where she can't be like a child. She's not like Shirley Temple, but she can't be like a leading lady. And also she got... The whole, the whole time she's in the system, she's, like, the kind of, like, ugly duckling to, like, your Marilyn's, your, like, Lana Turner's, that kind of thing. It's, like, it's and insane. And she felt terrible like about it. told she was an ugly it's duckling. It's crazy. Yeah. She was, like, put on diets constantly. 
I can't even imagine. I don't know. It's just the, it's such a cliche thing to think about of like such tragedy and like next to like her voice and acting skill is like unparalleled in my opinion. Yeah. But here's what Richard Dyer would say about that. What would he say, Allison? Well, he would say that tension in the star image and like the star text versus what their life was actually like is sort of like what what the star system brings out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Marilyn Monroe. Very hot. Very sad. But very sad. (laughs) (laughs) Jane Fonda. Very rich and beautiful, but lives in a working class neighborhood and uh, goes to Vietnam to support communists. Like, there's this, there's this push and pull, and Judy Garland's whole thing was that she was this good girl image, right? Yeah. Like, at 16, she was playing a 12-year-old. Like, they kept making her play these, like, bright-eyed kids in pigtails, and uh, they were also feeding her speed behind the scenes. And her suicide attempts were, like, very well publicized. Yeah. Like, she was known for self-harming, and she was known for being an addict, and she was known for sort of, like, having all these problems in Hollywood, but on screen, she's, like, this wildly, like, put-together perfectionist, this, like, young woman. She was a sort of perfect image. And that sort of, like, push and pull of the star system is what Richard Dyer says makes these texts interesting. Like, the, the actors are obviously, like, promotion and production feeds into stars being created. But what's, what makes performance like this interesting is either how they're playing into their own type or playing against their own type. Yeah, so it's just essentially, it's not like a fourth wall break or anything like that, but it's just always having the tension of the supposed real and, like, the fictitious movie you're watching in your mind when neither of those things is the actual truth. Actually, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, not that it is the truth, but, like, what does that even mean? But that's another issue entirely. What is the truth? <laughs> what is the truth? Well, yeah. <laughs> And we see this in, like, every version of A Star is Born, right? Because every single woman playing the star being born is already, like, wildly famous. Like, Janet Gaynor in the first one had already won her Oscar, I think. Yeah. Judy Garland is Judy Garland. Barbara Streisand is Barbara Streisand. It's Lady Gaga. Like, all these people are already (laughs) way more successful than the men they're playing opposite, quite frankly. Um, Well, that's because there is that. You want to see someone, like, react to their own career. Like, Lady Gaga is absolutely doing that right now. Well, Deucely doing a lot of other things. We get to see them, like, we get to see them earlier than we would have discovered them, right? Like, we get to see them from the start, and it's this very exciting You know what it is, Allison? To see it happen. Uh, There could be a hundred people in a room, (laughs) and if if just one believes in you. (laughs) That's that's all it takes to change your life. That's yeah. what the star is born is about. That's what it's all about. Well, and also it is interesting that I'm sorry, I a similar you like under <laughs> It's okay. I'm gonna forgive you. Because that's you can make a hundred bad jokes and you only need one to really land <laughs> to have a successful podcast. Um it sort of plays against type for the guys playing Norman yeah. Maine in every film. Obviously, we don't care about men on this podcast Not at in all. our lives. But uh <laughs> Part of Bradley Cooper's attraction to this story was the fact that, like, he was an addict and he's been sober for, like, a decade now. Um, he'd struggled yeah. with depression and self-harm and addiction. Uh, you know, Chris Christopherson is actually, like, a very nice and put-together guy as rock stars Which is go. weird. Like, you look at it him is, and you're like, what? It's nice. It's nice that he's friends with Sunita O'Connor. I think that's important. Um, <laughs> and um, and the guy who plays uh, Norman Maine here was like a famously like put together, put in long hours, like a very normal, well, nice. Can guy. I uh, something about all the Norman slash Jackson Maines in the movies? Or er, yes, 
So they're seem whenever they're introduced, or at least in these first two, I'm like, wow, this seems like a weird casting type. And I know that's because I am already like so attuned to the Bradley Cooper. But these are such different types. Like they're very like drunk but sophisticated. Like I have a mid-Atlantic accent. It is. And I think that's a that's a side effect of it being the first two films being about like the movies and the cinema. Mm-hmm. But the first two Norman Mains are like sort of I don't want to say like effeminate, but they're not masculine. Yeah. They are if you were talking about musical types, they would not be played by Gene Kelly. They would be played by Fred Astaire. I know enough about those people to say yes. And, like, well, like, the men they pursue for these roles, like, um, Laurence Olivier was up for Norman Maine in this movie. Like, they're not, like, bulky, masculine, like, country rock singers. Yeah. Like, these are very much, like, sort of a Tom Hiddleston, well-educated, like, put-together movie yeah. star. Yeah. Like, Tom Hiddleston playing uh, Fitzgerald. And that stupid Woody Allen movie. I just want to go to Paris and finish my novel. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> that's my that's my best impression. Thank you for letting me do. That. I mean, I just we're not in the same room. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I just think that's an interesting distinction when you're because this is like the transition movie also from straight up movies to straight up music because this is about musicals which is the marriage of those two things but it and we're still in the territory of i don't know i don't want to say effeminate either just like not the country star man it's not uh it's just not masculine yeah or it's not like a mm, i don't know if that's the way i would put it there's a vulnerability or like a it's a restraint maybe i don't know there's also an indication of class in these like performances though Especially with, I the, think that is especially with the accent that uh, James, whatever yeah. his name is, James, uh, what was his name? James, James, Mason. Mason. James Mason. James Mason has in this movie. I'm like, are you British? And then I was like, no, it's the mid-Atlantic accent, which is not yes. what I just did. <laughs> it's a very, um, yeah, it's a very like mid-century yeah. affectation. Yeah. Well, I also think that that changes with, with the... Um, the stars being born, they have different names in all the movies, so I won't paint with a broad brush there. But they, in the first two movies, it's a very similar type because it is a direct remake of this, like, young ingenue who's never, like, had a boyfriend or been kissed or, like, in this one, at least they let her have a job. She's also she not an ingenue. An she's, like, older. They're, like, the, she's not an ingenue, but, like, she's supposed to be playing an ingenue. I know. Like, yes, she's 32, but, like, we're supposed to read her much younger. I know. Which is weird. She does not look like a mother of two. Like, she's not supposed to be playing a mother of two, even though Judy Garland is a mother of two. At this point in her career. Yeah. I I just found that refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Compared to our last Vicky. I'm sure Janet's had a lot, but, like, Judy's really been through the ringer. She's been through the mill, Mm -hmm. as as one would say. You've been through the mill? Yeah, that's the lyric. I got it, I got it, I got it. Um, so I want to also know your ratings of the songs. Man That Got Away is number one, right? Obviously. Yes. And uh, especially the performance in this one, you would say? better. Like, how does this rank in your musical repertoire of musical performances in a movie? That's an interesting question. So I think This A Star Is Born is also a little different because it's not trying to convince, like... Vicky Lester is not someone who is ever, like, a timid performance. 
it's not like in the first film where she's sort of like scared to do a screen test and it's not um the 2018 a star is born where like lady gaga like really has to be pulled onto stage i think a downside of this star is born is that uh judy garland sort of springs onto camera fully formed and we're just waiting for other people to discover her mm-hmm. like there, there's a scene where um Norman Maine is trying to get her, like, actual parts in movies. Right now, she's a, she's, she gets a contract, and, like, her only scene is she's a stand-in for another actress, so she, like, waves a handkerchief out of a train window. Mm-hmm. But her face it's, isn't on screen. Like, it's and then just when she hand. gets her face on screen, they're like, we see your face. They're like, stop no. doing that. You're a stand-in. So we are, and then Norman Maine convinces the studio head to give her a part by, like, tricking him into coming to his office and, like, quote-unquote overhearing Vicky Lester sing. He's like, oh, this this star quit. We don't know who's going to be the lead in this movie. And Armin is like, oh, well, I happen to know a woman with a beautiful voice. Wouldn't this be perfect? And she doesn't really struggle at all. Like, she uh, is put into a dance number, and they're like, oh, that was great. Perfect. Let's go perform it. Oh, it's your first movie. Let's go see how it goes. Oh, it's, it's great. It's a great movie. Here's <laughs> another one. Here's an Oscar. And I think, like, that, that is sort of, I think, a downside to this film. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of, like, struggle. That said, every single musical number is a banger. I would say the first man that got away, the one where she's singing to her best friends in the club. I loved is it. Is my favorite. I loved it so much. Yeah. I read up a little bit on it because I was obsessed. And it... What did you... Tell me about what okay, you about. Okay, so they wanted to... Who is a cinematographer? I don't know. They had an issue the first time she did it where they wanted it to be, like, smoky and noiry and, like, lit in a specific way and very, like, personal. And it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And they, like, fired two cinematographers. But really, it was just the film stock yep. that was the issue. And, like, you can't make it look that great. Um, it ended up, mm-hmm. it does look incredible. But it was filmed in, like, one take, like, dozens of times. And then in, like, yeah, separate. This is, it's all one yeah, it's shot. it's all one shot film. in the film. But it's also gotten, like, other, it's been covered, like, Throughout the process of filming, this scene was shot in part or in full, like, 40-plus times. Like, it was insane. Oh, my God. That's insane. Yeah, because they were, like, so... Well, also, Judy, like, by the end of the film was, like, getting a little tired there with the with the drugs, so... Yeah. yeah. Sadness. But, yeah, that's a fun... Some fun, interesting <laughs> information about that scene. Um, She's an incredible singer, and, like... The emotion she puts into it, just, like, incredible. I don't know. I don't expect to be moved by music. I know that sounds like a robot thing to say. <laughs> so I'm always impressed well, when I am. <laughs> again, I think I think the musical numbers in this film function in a really interesting way where, I mean, they're mostly, they're written by, like, Gershwin, like, Richard Rogers wrote part of the Born in a Trunk melody. Yeah. Uh, it's just a couple of, like, sort of, like, studio writers and you see what like turnout hits in the 50s right but like judy garland's performance in this it they they take on this other resonance Mm -hmm. like judy garland performing this is not just like a small town girl who's never had a success like there's like a lot of real heartbreak in this song and then one of the reasons i love born in a trunk which again is like a 10 minute like musical medley which is just sort of flopped into the middle of this film is that it's sort of like a take on judy garland's entire career yeah 
yeah, like in, in the song, she's born in Idaho. But Judy Garland was born to people who ran a vaudeville theater in a small town. In Minnesota. <laughs> and then she did eventually, like, fight her way up through the chorus and, like, get, get yeah. cast in these things. People did take advantage of me as the You Took Advantage of Me song yeah. goes. I mean, it just... So that's what I, I think this film suffers for the fact that it is not really possible to watch it without thinking about Judy Garland's career. And these musical numbers especially stand out. It just sort of says, like, okay, we're all going to sit down and watch Judy Garland perform. Well, then that begs the question of uh, a bag just fell and I thought it was a ghost. <laughs> Are you good? <laughs> I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we're on video, so I feel better. Um, begs the question of, like, do these movies get made, like, when they're getting cast, when someone's like, okay, it's time for a new A Star is Born. Like, we're looking for... This is always a vehicle. This movie is always functioning yeah. as a vehicle. We're not like having an unknown in this role. And we haven't No, we don't we don't want to risk a real star being born. Exactly. So like what is the risk in that? Like in terms of what Dyer is saying with that ten like it erases that tension. Mm. Which is interesting. Yes. This is probably one of the sole reasons we don't like go to a non Lady Gaga. <laughs> so so Richard Dyer sort of talks about how stars are both images in terms of types. Mm-hmm. So you got like Good guy. Uh, your um, your Fred Astaire's. You got your tough guys. You got your John Waynes. You have your pinups. You have your independent woman, like Catherine Hepburn. She wears pants. <laughs> That's how you know she's independent, by the way. Yeah, so we have these, like, broad types that are very easy to identify as soon as we see a movie. But then there's also the star's specific image, right? Like, the, the specific thing that you think of when you think of Judy Garland. Yeah. Is created both when they're, they're promoting a film, both when there's publicity around a film, an example of that with This A Star Is Born is that the studio kept saying, well, we actually shot this for nine months because Judy is such a perfectionist. We just had to keep reshooting because she is such a perfectionist. They were mm. like, don't worry, she's definitely not doing drugs. <laughs> don't worry, you guys, the drugs are not here, I swear, <laughs> is what they said. <laughs> and then the the films themselves and how they play with or against type feeds into that image and then the sort of criticism and like the conversation that crops up around that film. And I think if you take away that... Um, the star's type there all we have is like the invisible production that goes into any film like yeah. the promotion and like the writing and like the fake stories that what happens on set and then that's just boring that's just a regular movie but i don't know if it is or i think every movie is playing with that unless you're like making your first short for fucking oh, sundance of course every every movie is playing with that but most movies also like do a lot of that behind the scenes yeah if you know what i mean yeah like it's, it's it's not less... like a character in the movie. Exactly. Just like if you LA made a is movie... in this one. I'm just I'm sorry. <laughs> if you made a movie about movie making that didn't have that tension, it would just be like, yeah, I get it. Like you make movies. Like I, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I just also think it and... would be so interesting to see like an actual star get born. But we have, I mean, that's sort of the feedback I want, like, on Lady Gaga's okay. performance, isn't it? It's like, well, I don't care about this. She's a pop exactly. star. Like, I knew that she could sing. I know. And then, like, you also see the trajectory of the type of music she's making. And it's like, yeah, I could see her, like, recording the way she does with, like, mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper when she was, like, 15 or something. But, like, then we get to, like, this pop aesthetic that, like, we're definitely concerned with now. When, Well, not, I don't know. Hers is a lot different than what's in the film. Like, we're not talking yeah. about butts as much with her. It's definitely a little weirder. If you, like, if you took away the fact that this was Judy Garland, like, if you yeah. just put a random other woman from the 1950s into this role, if you put, like, Grace Kelly into this role, if you put Garbo into this role, it's not, I don't know, I, I find it less interesting because there's not that tension. 
Like, I would not want to stop a film for 10 minutes and, like, watch just some person perform. Oh, for sure. And they wouldn't have put that in there unless, like, I mean, I'm sure it was in her contract. Like, we have to have this, like, show-off session of Judy Garland. Like, that was definitely not something Yeah, they 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 did cut, like, one of them. Um, Um, They cut a full musical number and there's still, like, 10 left. Oh, my God. And it's, like, three hours. Jesus Christ. Um, But I'm more interested in, like, okay, crazy, crazy idea. But do you remember that show, The Naked Brothers Band? <laughs> Are we going to talk about this on every episode? No, but I just think we it's... talk about Naked Brothers Band on the Hereditary episode. Wait, for really? Like five yeah. Jesus Christ! But when I watched that as like a kid, like I had my finger on the pulse as like a ten year old or whatever the fuck. And yeah, just so just to recap, welcome to What Did I Miss? This is the Naked Brothers Band <laughs> podcast where we talk about the TV show starring Nat and Alex Wolf <laughs> that aired in the mid 2000s on Nickelodeon. Continue, Casey. Okay, thank you for that, Allison. So this show like made me believe that this was a real band that I had just never heard of that I was like yeah. not into for some reason, which is weird. And then I was like, oh, this must just be a reality show of this band. <laughs> like I kind of want someone to like fuck with me. Like I want like a star to put out music who I'd never really heard of. And then like immediately like a new star is born happens. And I'm like, oh, the star, she's getting born. And the star, I want the movie to function as what the movie shows its function like i think that would be so weird that's more experimental than any of this could ever be but i mean i I think we have the new pitch for like the 1932 a star is born or the 2032 a star is born and i'm like excited about that do you think we could direct it maybe (laughs) Uh, we'll see um i i think at that point it just becomes entourage (laughs) (laughs) and like hear me out um Entourage, what's Bros his name? Bros what's, in Vegas. That's my recap of Entourage. What's Vinny's real name? I have no idea. Uh, he's he's the boyfriend of Deborah Was Prada. Anyway, That's... the guy who's Vinny. Like, is Vinny gonna do the movie? Right. Um, that movie is about like Hollywood machinations, mm-hmm. but all these people are like just not quite famous or charismatic enough to actually be a star. So we're just sort of asked to believe. But were these people very well known before the show started? No, that exactly. oh, Adrian Grenier. No, but that's like that's what like happens. Adrian like, Grenier. Making, like I don't really care about him anyway. I I feel like it's every magazine profile that comes out of like Liam Hemsworth doesn't know what's <laughs> about to happen to him. It's like nothing's gonna happen to Liam Hemsworth because he's like the the third most famous Hemsworth brother, right? That's not a fun ranking for him, but okay. And that's a bummer because <laughs> there are only three who are actors. Wait, wait, and he's wait! Tied for third. Lightning round. Who's your favorite, Chris? uh pine oh same okay good uh i need to go get my battery so give me one second but okay. i know you're, I, you're about i do have a larger point here okay. okay okay so when you are making a bet that a person you are uh seeing at first is going to be famous mm-hmm. so you're like this is going to be the next big thing sometimes it works out Sometimes they really do pop off and sometimes they become a star. And other times it is the Liam Hemsworth headline. Liam Hemsworth has no idea what's about to hit him. And like he didn't make any movies between 2016 and 2019. So like nothing was about to hit him, you know? Mm. And I know it's very sad when people like don't pop off. But every year we get these like. <laughs> I remember when. Do you remember High School Musical 3? Of course I remember High School Musical 3, a cinematic event. Of course, we all saw it in theaters. So (laughs) those kids, they had like a new like class of younger kids Mm -hmm. in that movie. And Zac Efron gave an interview and he was like, yeah, I told so-and-so, who was like playing the younger version of him, you know, this is going to be the last times you're able to like go out in public. Like 
really get it, like, take it all in now. And, like, do you remember the name of the third male lead in High School Musical 3? No, no. I don't. And so I think the risk in making <laughs> A Star is Born without that person is that they might genuinely become A Star is Born based on their performance in A Star is Born. But what is much more likely is that we are watching someone play act this idea of, like, becoming very famous and having this downfall and we don't have any emotional connection to that happening to them. We're not excited to watch them ramp up because they are like a stranger when the movie starts. And then when like their career takes off and they're like, oh, should I quit to help my husband? You're like, I don't know, I guess. Like your career is fictional to me. <laughs> I, it's just weird to me that like we won't buy into that but we still buy into the semi-reality. And I guess it's because it's a semi-reality of mm-hmm. the actual star playing the fictitious star. I mean, yeah, we're just circling the same idea. Well, I guess I'm just frustrated that... Uh, I don't know. that I think there's a sacrifice in story and surprise when you rely on celebrity as much as you do with films like this, maybe. Yeah, so, like, two things. One, I think that, like, the star image is always semi-reality, right? Like, Marilyn Monroe was very hot. Like, that is not something they, like, invented out of whole cloth. Would you say it's (laughs) hyper-real? I I would say it's hyper-real. Jean Valdriard, kids. Like, they they tack on these other things, but at their core, like, Rita Hayworth was a very talented dancer and singer, right? Yeah. Like, Marilyn Monroe, very hot. Judy Garland, matinee star. She was famous from a young age, so, of course, we made her play kids forever. Like, those are sort of, like, the foundation of their star image. And then we're just, like, revisiting the star and ramping back up. And, yeah, it's, like, obviously some of it is fake. But, like, there, it has enough basis in reality that it feels real. I don't yeah. remember the second point that you made that I was going to respond to. Uh, I think I was just saying that celebrity, like, the off-screen oh, yeah. celebrity story seems so important and i think so many i mean so many like the reliance on it i just kind of want to watch something where i don't know who anyone is which is like I mean, all that's the movies fair. That, but i don't have the instinctual urge to like go out and watch these like sundance movies where i don't know who people are because yeah. i'm interested like in the lives of these weirdos celebrities yes. they're just like us and i don't know why this is and I think the reason we come back to A Star is Born is not because we want to be surprised. Like, we know that Norman or Jackson Maine is going to die at the end. Like, that is yeah. not a surprise. It is It is exciting to watch these different people play out the same story. Like, it is exciting to watch these people sort of plug into these roles and put their own spin on them. Wow, the theater-going public in America really needs to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like, what else is new? Films are a way to get out, like, your trauma. Amen, sister. Yeah, and I mean, hmm. I don't know, I think we see that in later ones. Like, we see Barbara Streisand, like, her thing is a lot more about, like, her own self-image. Like, the nose thing comes from Barbara Streisand. Because yeah. she yeah. is not, like, a, like, she was told a lot that she was not pretty enough to be a star, right? It's interesting that we have, like, three of the four stars that are born and that's all i'll refer to them as stars that are born uh that there's this like self-image aspect to it that's like you need this someone to believe in you have 100 people in a room or whatever Mm -hmm. but also that like you're beautiful despite these like flaws that you see it's not like necessarily i mean in real life judy was told that she was a piece of shit which is terrible but like also what you see and how that's not real yeah i mean i do think that like also 
Barbara and Lady Gaga and Judy Garland, to a certain extent, brought that to the film, especially yeah. like Lady Gaga and Barbara Streisand, who were, like, partial authors of that text, right? Like, they were really told to get nose jobs. They yeah. were really told certain things about a creative image. And, like, Judy Garland is clearly carrying around a lot of that insecurity in herself. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just eerie to watch at the end of that movie where she's kind of crying over Jackson, or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> over Norman. Norman. And I think it's also funny that they call him Normie sometimes. Like he's, It's very funny. <laughs> it's so funny. That is very um, good. It's like, oh, is Normie going to be all right? It's like, do you want Normie to be all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like she's having these episodes about her love for him, and you just like, I'm like, this is her doing it for like her. Like, that is the eeriest part about the end of this movie, is that she inhibits, inhabits both of these types of star and celebrity presence. Like, she is hyper-talented and, like, so troubled and by addiction. Yeah, and even though it is sort of, like... There's never any tension about whether Judy Garland is going to be a star. Like, the, the film does just stop repeatedly to let her do her vaudeville thing i think that's what makes this my favorite star is born is the fact that we we see her playing against basically how her life was going to run out like she got fired from her studio contract in the 50s she got she struggled with addiction she was put in a sanitarium and she eventually died very very young yeah i that just brings such an eerie quality to this movie that like i don't think any of the others have obviously yeah Yeah. unless you count like this is a bad joke. Bradley Cooper's bad Oscar run. <laughs> I mean, this is, I think something that we should acknowledge is that when we had this idea for this podcast series, we were like, oh, it's going to be so fun. Like, it's going to be in the lead up to A Star is Born, like, sweeping the Oscars. Yeah. And now it looks like A Star is Born is going to win one Oscar for best for song. For best song. Oh, can we talk about that, actually? Uh Song-wise, now that we're in the first musical A Star is Born, yes. how does Shallow compare to... Born in a Trunk. Uh, no, not Born in a Trunk. The man that got away, you monster. No, but structurally, Born in a Trunk is the shallow of the film. Oh my god. No, everyone remembers man the that man. that got away is the La Vieta Rose of the film. Just structure-wise. Oh my god. Structure-wise, yes, but like... What 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 song was not what what is the eleventh best song according to the American? I, I think Institute? "Man That Got Away" is a better song than "Shallow." I agree. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to say it. But and "Shallow" I think still no slaps. Match, Judy I'm Garland's. trying to say "slaps casually." Is it working? It's, it's an interesting choice. Um, I think no one will ever match Judy Garland's star power. Um, I'm happy that she lives on in Liza Minnelli. Um, God bless. <laughs> I uh, yeah yes, God bless indeed. I think this is an interesting sign off. I just I I get really sad when I think about Judy Garland. Like I know, this me really too. watching I haven't watched a Judy Garland movie in a while and I haven't seen this since high school. And I didn't really know about like Judy Garland sort of like sad, tragic end at the time. Yeah. And um watching it just really sort of makes me unspeakably sad. And it is so obviously yeah. Bradley I know we talk about like we said we weren't gonna talk about the Bradley Cooper one as much, but like obviously we're going to. Um that movie is really like it's a movie made by a man about addiction who has like really come out on the other side of his addiction like he's been sober for a decade this is a movie that was made like really during one of the worst times of judy garland's life and it's very sad um yeah this is sad well uh next time we will be (laughs) (laughs) discussing barbara streisand's stars minisode before the oscars yeah we we will we will okay good we can talk about our our predictions um 
next Green time we'll be watching the suck my dick. <laughs> I threw a dish towel at a dinner party yesterday at someone who like dared suggest that Bohemian Rhapsody was not the worst movie ever made. Oh my god, I'm so upset by all this. Anyway, continue with what you were saying. Well, uh, on the next episode, we will be discussing Barbara Streisand's 1976 A Star is Born, starring Babs herself and Chris Christopherson. Mm. And the portion of Richard Dyer that we will be discussing is part three, Stars as Signs. And how stars function in the films themselves. Are they Scorpios? Are they answered? <laughs> good, good joke. That, that'll be a large portion of the episode. It'll be about authorship um, and very famously, like, Barbara Streisand um, obviously had a huge She, impact. like, wore her own clothes and stuff. Just kidding. She did way more than that. She, she wore her own clothes. She wrote the music with Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have our ep about the not Oscar winning <laughs> Star is Born of 2018. R.I.P. Justice indeed. for Bradley Cooper. I can't even say those words. I'm sorry. I say that unironically. Uh, I'm Allison Raybar. <laughs> and I'm Casey Trainer. <laughs> and this has been What Did I Miss? Thank you and goodbye. God bless. <laughs>